Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Jeremy Chance. Jeremy has been uh, a student of the Alexander Technique since uh, the late 60s. He's been an Alexander teacher for over 30 years. He actually was on my uh, same training course that I was on with Paul and Betty Collins and Vivian Mackey and others in London, England, late 70s. Uh, I was there till 81. Um, and both Jeremy and I uh, have spent considerable time working with uh, a teacher who used to live here in Lincoln, Nebraska. She's been dead for uh, a while now, Marjorie Barstow. And we're going to talk today about our experiences with her, what in our view uh, was unique about her teaching. Um, We're just going to go back and forth about Marge. So, uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Happy to be here. It's fun. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad to talk to you about Marge. You know, I haven't told you this, but I have a feeling that I may indirectly have been the cause of why you came to Lincoln to study with Marge. Because oh, your sister, whose name I can't remember, Rosemary. Rosemary, yeah, she came out first, right? That's right. And she came out because I had come out a couple of times and had passed the word around that this was a lady to see. And, well, I actually remember you talking about her at, yeah. uh, in London in the days long before yeah. I met her. So you were the first person I actually heard to think to talk about it. So thank you, Robert. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm there in the background for all of your successes, Jeremy. <laughs> thank you. I, I have to give you more credit publicly. Please, so absolutely, I am now. <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, uh, Jeremy and I both have gone to a lot of her workshops. Jeremy, in fact, brought her over to Australia um, many times to give workshops. We both went to workshops with her in Lincoln, uh, Nebraska. She and came up I to... I also introduced her to Europe as well, to London and Oh, Europe. that's right. Yes, you did. You, yeah, that was quite the introduction. Yeah, you introduced her to the Brits back in uh, 1988, I believe it was. Yeah, and the Europeans. And the, to, to, I remember we were on a plane and we were going to Paris. Mm-hmm. And then she turned to me and she said, oh, I haven't been to Paris since the Germans came and went. <laughs> That's true story. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Marge, uh, and when Marge got uh, to be in 90, 90-ish, 91 actually, and she stopped uh, traveling, stopped doing very much traveling, uh, I moved here to Lincoln to run workshops for her here in Lincoln. So we we both have a, a long history with Marge, and mm. we're going to talk today about uh, about what we experienced and what she was all about. Do you want to start with kind of your initial impressions of her when you first? I think you probably came over for a winter workshop, didn't you? Initially, yeah. Well. No, the, 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 I first met her in um, San Miguel in the Snowy Mountains district of Victoria in Australia. Oh. Because my sister Ro had come back very enthused and she'd invited Marge to, to come out in January, Australian summer. Uh-huh. And Marge had said, yeah. She said, oh, that sounds like fun. Yep, that's Marge. That's Marge yeah, <laughs> So I actually, I organized a residential for her with teachers and I, I, I kind of remember walking into the room and there's this old lady and there was a like, I, I can't remember exactly, but around 40 people and no other teachers. And I thought, oh, okay, this is different. 
And then she had an assistant who ended up marrying my sister, Bill Brenner, mm-hmm. but he really didn't do much at all. <laughs> you know, every now and again, Marge said, why don't you just help those people a little bit, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so mostly he was just left sitting around. Marge ran the show. And it was like extraordinary because there was no question that she was getting change in every single person in that room. But she somehow had a, developed a teaching technology, which was just very, very different from what I had ever been exposed to before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that really uh, pretty much exactly parallels my own experience. First time I met her it was in the dead of winter in Lincoln, uh, Nebraska. It was in the basement of the music department. There were about 25 people, not as big as yours, but to me that seemed like an extraordinary, extraordinarily large number of people for one teacher to be teaching. And the two things that I remember is the first thing was the chairs were really terrible molded chairs that were out initially. And I thought, oh, when Marge comes, she's going to want to take care of that right away. And, of course, she could care less, as it turned out. And the other thing was I figured, well, one person, 25, I worked out the math of it, and I figured she's going to really be on the move constantly getting her hands on people. Because there's only so many, you know, it was five, six hours a day, but 25 people, you know, I was working out the, the, the math of it. And, and a long time went by before the first hand appeared on the first student's neck. And as, you know, I'm sure you noticed, she used her hands rather sparingly, in fact. And yet, as you said, it was obvious that something really profound was going on. It puzzled the hell out of me. I couldn't reconcile it initially with my own. I was halfway through training course at that time. I had a hard time reconciling it with what I had been exposed to up until then. It took me two or three days to kind of really get it. I immediately got that something good was going on, but it took a, it took longer to get a little bit what that was well i think she i mean what she did is she flipped the model um she didn't do anything new she just did something that hadn't actually been done except by alexander by himself in front of mirrors because he had to you know no one could give alexander an alexander lesson he could never get the experience in the way we can Mm -hmm. so he had to have cognitive clarity about his process it was absolutely essential that he totally understood what it was that he was attempting to do and and how that could be done. And we all know the famous story, Ed Mazel quotes the Alexander brothers as yelling at their students in a room on, on two sides of the room. I don't know if you remember reading that. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and because it seems like anecdotally, Alexander wasn't the world's best communicator you know, when it came to language. And of course, the inventor of a, a technique is not necessarily the great, greatest person to teach it. Mm-hmm. And I think what Marge did is she just she just said, well, hang on, you know, Alexander did a lot of brain work and he figured this all out himself. Couldn't we have a look at how people could do that too? Mm-hmm. And, and absolutely. And she, um, uh, I've never run into anyone in the Alexander world who was as devoted to Alexander's books as particularly use of the self as as she was um, yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah she she inspired me that way 
she um and it, you know what's very interesting uh, she she would of course emphasize that first chapter in the book uh, evolution of a technique and she used to say all the time and i wonder if you remember this she said the most important sentence in that whole chapter is where alexander says I tried a whole bunch of things. I don't even have time to put them here. Something to that effect. And right. she, she said that was the key sentence. That he oh he God. experimented with all sorts of stuff. We have no idea what he experimented with. But I think what she wanted to get across was the idea that experimentation is okay. You can make a mistake. You can learn from it. In a sense, there really are no mistakes. And she was always nudging people to. She would say, "Take a take a chance, take a gambling chance," you know. Yeah. Um, so, but we used to we used to read sections of that book ad nauseum in her classes. Uh, that, uh, yeah. Well, she's inspired me. I, I you know, in my uh, in body chances teacher education in Japan now we. We've just about finished translating all the books, and our students, we, we do online learning. I decided that I wanted to take the, the book study out of the class because it sort of took up precious class time where we could be working on practical things, but I still wanted people to learn them. So we do it online because mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, 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 you know, studying the books is suitable for that, and people, we get a little group of 12, and we've divided the books into eight different courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've got like 55 people at the moment studying them online. And it's uh, and, and then, of course, it does come into the class because out of what they're learning online, they, they come into the class and say, you know, but Alexander said this or he said that, and it, it mm-hmm. stimulates discussion. And so I'm, you know, very consciously and deliberately incorporating the study of those books as a requirement of my students and that's basically inspired by, as you say, you know, March carrying around that copy of Use of the Self with a rubber band around it because all the pages were falling out because yeah, she right, so right. many times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and, to, and to get back to her teaching a bit, I mean, obviously one thing that she did very differently than most teachers at that time certainly was working with groups and, and often quite large groups. That was really not the norm anywhere. Um Certainly not in England. It still isn't. No, it still isn't the norm. And that's what uh, drew me. I mean, that's the thing that caused me to come out to Lincoln initially. I was real curious how she did that. But I would say, in a funny way, the thing that she was most uh, revolutionary about was this putting the emphasis on you doing the thinking for yourself as soon as you were capable of doing it. Which was right away. Well, as a, it, it was right away if it could be right away. Now, she, she was adaptable, and she would have people... I can remember a student, uh, a local student here in Lincoln who came to her workshops and her, her classes in her house, and Marge, you know, did the usual thing of helping her and asking her to continue. And it it just didn't take. I mean, she would make a change, but then she had a, a mind that really couldn't stay in the moment. She was a very intelligent lady, but she didn't have that ability to stay in the moment at that time. And there came a, there came a specific moment when I could see that Marge shifted gears and said, okay, 
I'm, I'm just going to give this person some experiences and they will carry over. And um, because there's no point in harassing her about continuing thinking. She just couldn't do it. And oddly enough, that lady later became a student of mine after Marge died. And eventually she was able to do that kind of thinking. But it took a long time. But generally speaking, if you could think, she would get you to think and start taking responsibility right away. Well, that's, you know, that's where I think she, she flipped the model. I mean, the, after years and years and years of agonizing over my kind of more traditional training in London in the 70s and then my kind of re-engineered training with Marge, because um, I went through a lot of emotional crises, a lot of guilt, actually, a lot of um, confusion. But at the end of the day, it, it came down to two simple phrases, and that is that Alexander wanted to give you the experience so that you could come to understand the thinking. Marge wanted you to come to understand the thinking so you could give yourself the experience. And I think essentially that's the, the, the paradigm, the two paradigms they're working in. I think, I think those are still the two major paradigms in Alexander teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, yeah. Walter Walter Carrington, who who I had quite a few lessons with when when I was in England, he once explicitly I I, I uh, asked him, you know how he how he um, what he did with new students, and he said one of the things I do with them is I will do anything in my power to avoid any discussion of anything to do with the Alexander technique for the first 10 lessons. He, he, his model was, was basically the FM model. I guess you give, you give the students the experience. They make some changes, kind of just happens. You know, there's some, some sucking up of the new ways of moving and so on. And then there comes a point when, from Walter's point of view, okay, now it starts making sense to get them to start thinking. And Marge, of course, worked, as you say, in pretty much exactly the opposite way. Um, Mm. And, you know, actually I've written about Walter in my book. I love Walter. I think he's a a fantastic teacher. teacher and I loved his writings. And, and I think that's right. I mean, he, he's completely consistent and logical in the model that he's working with, and there isn't a right model. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. You know, on that same topic, Paul Collins, who we both knew and oh, yeah. and, and, and admired, he once went and somewhere, I think it's in Mizell or somewhere, where Alexander, somewhere around, who knows, 1912 or somewhere in that period, is reputed to have announced... I I can get it for them now, something like that, Uh, meaning, I guess, that he had sufficiently good use of his hands that he could get someone into where he wanted them to be just with his hands, and Mm. um, which he regarded, I guess, as a good thing. And Paul said, he said, from his point of view, Paul's point of view, he said, that's kind of a dangerous moment in the Alexander technique. Mm. You have any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was in my training, um, they both passed away now, so I guess it's okay. Mm-hmm. Paul, we're it's talking Paul, but, <laughs> Paul and Betty, Paul and Betty. Betty Collins, yeah. who's also... But basically, yeah. Margaret's still around, but she was, she was such a contrast because I... 
I, after I had a lesson with them, I, I always felt like they tried to make me like them. It's like I felt like there was a little bit of them inside of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were making me in their image of what they understood to be good coordination. Whereas when Margaret worked with me... This is Margaret Farrar we th- we're talking well, she's about, not right? not Farrar anymore. Oh. I don't know her married name, mm-hmm. but anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, you know, I just felt like I was more of who I was. And one of the hallmarks of the difference in the touch was that, that Paul and Betty had quite manipulative and strong hands. Mm-hmm. And Margaret's hands, I mean, you know, you could be excused for thinking she wasn't even touching you. They were like two feathers. Mm-hmm. And, yet from, and, then, and from that day, I remember really consciously on the training, you know, what we were on, I was thinking, you know, that's the kind of teacher I want to be. I don't want to go in there with my idea of how I think you should be I want to use my touch in a way that helps you become more of who you are. And I want you to experience. And I think that's kind of what Walter was doing. I think Walter was it's almost like sometimes I think he was doing ontological work. He was like working on the being of who you're being. And, that, and that's why he didn't want to enter in any discussions because that's all your old self. And he doesn't want to kind of evoke the old self. And that's completely, you know, I think that was wonderful. I mean, I worked like that for seven years until I met Marge. That was my model. Mm-hmm. And would you would you say that Marge's teaching was, in a sense, more like Margaret Farrar's teaching in, in that she wasn't sort of predetermining anything for you? I think so, except what Margaret didn't have, which Marge had, was the incredibly developed technology of cognitive processes that go along with the experience that you're having. Because Marge, more than, uh, unlike any teacher I'd ever encountered before then, was really interested in how your brain worked and how it affected your body and how yeah. basically how your thinking affected your movement. Yeah. And for example, if someone, if, if, if an Alexander teacher on one of her workshops showed up and Marge says, okay, who wants to do something? And, and he said, he or she said, oh, I want to give, I want to give an Alexander lesson. Uh, that was a, a pretty amazing moment because uh, that person would be, uh, he, he'd say, oh, I want to work with so-and-so on the table. And Marge, and he start to walk over to the table and Marge would say, well, what are you thinking about right now? You know, what are you thinking about at every stage of this? And that's not the kind of thing that we ever got on our training course, I wouldn't say. Uh, no, that's that's how we train teachers in body chants. Basically, mm-hmm. when they, we, we don't do any kind of, in quotes, teaching activities. We simply, if someone wants to learn about teaching, they put their hand up and say, I want to do teaching as an activity. And mm-hmm. if they've just started, most often they don't even get out of the chair. Mm-hmm because it's clear from the way that they are coordinating themselves that there's a lot of fear there and there's not a lot of constructive thinking. So until they've got, you know, this is what we learned from Marge, until you can look after yourself and you can really think in a constructive way, she wasn't going to let you anywhere near a student. Yeah, and that was that did create some interesting scenes. As you, I'm, I don't know whether you witnessed any of those. Where, oh, it, it doesn't bother <laughs> chance, or it did, yeah. I mean... Now what happens when I first introduced that culture of teaching, it was like, oh, there was such resistance because people said, oh, but it's, you know, they're terrified, I can't do it, I, you don't want everyone watching me. 
And I'd always say, well, if you can't manage it here, how do you think you're going to manage it out there? This is the kindest environment you'll ever be in. And you be and because, of course, we are very much in the model of group, so you need to learn how to look after yourself in a group. I mean, you'll be attacked. People will question you. People will do all kinds of things. You need to know that you've got the ability to really look after yourself constructively no matter what's happening around you. That's the skill that you need. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things about Marge's approach to teaching, apart from the fact that it was incredibly effective and all of that stuff, it it also, it, in my experience, it's an amazingly adaptable approach to new situations, new t um, teaching opportunities. So even something like a distance learning using Skype, which is a somewhat controversial uh, process these days. But, you know, it's almost like if you if you train by Marge, Skype teaching is not a huge leap. Whereas if you're trained by someone like Walter or tr traditional kind of training, it's going to seem an impossible leap because, you know, what are you going to do about the hands on situation? Yeah. So, and yep. just in general, I mean, I find all the time when I'm confronted with a sort of an unusual teaching situation uh, recently, I've been working with high school uh, kids, high school singers, and, and not my natural uh, thing to do. But, you know, Marge's, Marge's basic methodology it works brilliantly with them. It, it, it kind of yeah, I mean, takes, it, it takes over for me. Um, yep. and, um, and I, there were other examples I was thinking of the other day. I can't remember them, but the thing, the thing that just impresses me looking back on it is just how robust her, if you want to call it teaching technology, uh, is, was, and is. And I think the thing that, that, that people need to recognize is that her teaching technology was derived from a really different context than Alexander's. I mean, Alexander usually got people just before death, you know, basically they'd mm -hmm. been to everyone, done everything, they were about yeah. to die, and then someone <laughs> right. said, try this guy. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you can understand why on his side, he just had to get his hands on and, and kind of get them to live. Whereas Marge basically started working when she was invited with young artistic performance type people at universities. They didn't need 30 lessons. They didn't need a lesson every day. They hardly even needed to be touched. It's not like primary control is something that comes from me to you. It's something everybody's got. So exactly. Marge would yeah. you know, twinkle with her eye and they got it and, and they could do it. They, they didn't need to have this onslaught of touch in order to be able to change the way they were using themselves. It's not necessary. Absolutely. And she certainly wasn't about to give anyone an onslaught of touch. The only exceptions to that, I would say, were occasionally she would work with severely disabled people uh, a couple of times, uh, small uh, children, young children who were in really bad shape. And I saw her do that a few times, and it was a very different kind of teaching. She basically, well, I think she wasn't going to start said, talking to them. very adaptable. She it was, was totally adaptable. adaptable. That's the I actually, one time I dislocated my shoulder. And my father had died. It was probably related. And I was in a terrible mess. It was just before the workshop in London. And she sat me down in a chair. And, you, and you'll find this hard to believe because you know, Marge, she worked with me for 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's like an eon of time with Marge. It is, yeah. And 
just kept wiggling my fingers and making me go back and forth. And she said, at one point, she looked at me. She said, I'm no arm fixer. <laughs> <laughs> my well, God. Well, she just nailed that. I was getting cold, frozen shoulder, and it was gone. The next day or two, it was like a fire came alive in my arm. And it was just, you know, it was gone. Yeah. She nailed it. And uh, that adaptability, and that, you know, you talk about 40 minutes. Uh, lesson lesson with Marge that would have been unthinkable during most of the time we worked with her but there came a point in her teaching about uh, two years or so two yeah about two 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 and a half years before she died when it became clear to her and to everyone around her that she wasn't really gonna wasn't good with working with groups anymore she didn't have it was too much for her. She could work with an individual or a couple of people, but she couldn't really do the group dynamic thing that she did before. And so what ended up happening, those of us who were lucky enough to be in Lincoln and a few people who came from out of town, we would get lessons with her that lasted an hour and a half, two hours sometimes, maybe a little break in between. Astonishing. And the work itself changed too, because she got she um, she kind of went into a different place in her mind. It became, funnily enough, closer to a sort of a conditioning thing. Although it was very she she didn't really she engaged your thinking, but only through her hands, basically. And it was powerful stuff. Uh, it was compl- in terms of format, it was totally different from anything that had gone before. And that was a period of about two years before then she so she really couldn't teach at all. That she would have been. Uh, the, yeah, the, I'd say from about ninety. Died, ninety-six. Yeah, 90, ninety-two to from from ninety to ninety-two, we were doing workshops, and we had a couple of large ones. And it became clear that that was just too many people. So we kept it at 12. And that was fine for about a year and a half. And then it became clear that really um, that was too much too. And and um, I think the other big thing we haven't touched on, mm-hmm. which is worth mentioning before we end, is mm-hmm. she really, I remember sitting with Marge in her room one time and she had conscious constructive control and there were all these notes that she'd written in the columns, mm-hmm. and I think we got all those books. And uh, one of the notes I noticed, it, she wrote, why take two steps? And what she was talking about was what I had learned in my original training, which that you inhibit the old habit, and then you direct, give the direction so that you can do whatever it is, sit in the chair. And, you know, what Marge said is, you know, she said to one time, well... If I move my head forward and up, haven't I already inhibited it going back and down? So it's yeah, like, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, Kathy Madden, who I think is probably the 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 carrying Marge's work more clearly and holistically than any other teacher that I've yet to meet. The way she puts it is that, and she did a congress. I think she, at the last congress she did a workshop on this. Is that Marge created a yes plan? not a no plan. So, and, and this is very consistent with neurobiology in, in as much as that our brain understands yes messages. No messages are not have to evoke the no until they're understood. 
so Marge's idea of, you know, let's give up this idea of stopping and talk about a doing is what really made her controversial because a lot of people who didn't get the deep cognitive rationalizing and the neurobiology of what she was actually saying think that she turned Alexander Technique into a doing technique. Whereas, right. you know, as in body chants, I actually sometimes hear myself saying, this is a doing technique. What are you standing there for? You've got to do something. You know, life's mm -hmm. about movement. Life's not about standing around. And you hear people say, I'm inhibiting myself. Well, how can you inhibit yourself? That's plainly ridiculous. You're inhibiting something that is interfering with the movement of the self. You're not inhibiting the self. Anyway, I'm just saying there's a whole interesting world there that Marge created reinterpreted what Alexander had done for himself right. by these two steps into one step. Right. Well, she never, uh, she, I never heard her use the word inhibition except uh, in response to a question once when someone asked her why she didn't teach it. And she said that she paused for a long time before she inhibited her answer because she wanted to make sure it was right for everybody in the group. And she said, basically said, that's all I ever teach. And then she went on to say more or less what you just said. Um, I would disagree with you a little bit about the negative, um, the saying no. I think, I think um, the recent uh, rise in popularity of negative or inhibitory, sometimes they're called, Alexander Technique directions, uh, which are no statements, you know, I am not something, uh, are incredibly powerful. And th that does seem to go against certain ideas about what works, neurologically speaking. But in fact, I think they're extremely powerful. And I think the uh, we don't really have time to go into it here, but the the very reason why if I tell you not to think about pink, pink elephants, you'll probably start thinking about them, is exactly the kind of reason why uh, a statement like, I am not tensing my neck, can be such a useful one. But we could leave that to another discussion. But I do think that Marge um, had a very different take on inhibition than... Oh, let's say something like I remember going to a talk in England by Marjorie Barlow, who you might have even been there. It was around the time you were there. And she described inhibition as um, like if you think of a, a stick shift on a car, not an automatic transmission, but a stick shift. Inhibition would be like if you want if you're in first gear and you want you decide you want to back up. You have to go through neutral for a split second before you can go into reverse. It's kind of that pause between the two. And I remember at the time thinking, that's a brilliant analogy, but I don't actually think it's the highest form of a, of a correct analogy. You know, I think she was on, I think it was not good, it wasn't bad for, the kind of teaching that was going on in England at that time. But I do think there are better ways to combine directing and, and, and inhibiting. And yeah, well, we both know there's no right way. In the end of the day, it's it what works. On it's what works. Yeah. yeah, it's what but works. Certainly, Marge had a preference for yes plans. We sat one time mm -hmm. working on a, a piece of writing, uh -huh. and there was just this one sentence that I can't even remember, but it had a... a 
you are not to or something else. And Marge looked at it for mm-hmm. a long time and mm-hmm. she turned to me and she said, do you think there's any way we can get the not out of that sentence? Yeah, well, I agree <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a sentence like that, you are not to do this. But in here, negative directions are a little different from that. But you mentioning that reading, reading she was the world's greatest editor. That lady, you could give her a little a piece of writing about the technique, and she would go through it very carefully, and she would spot the one or two little things that would just make all the difference. Mm-hmm. She was she was very very good at that. She was uh... anyway. Maybe this would be a good place to to end our conversation. What do you think? I think so. I mean, we could probably keep talking for four hours. We we, we could easily talk for four hours. Um, But maybe, maybe we could, maybe if some people, if anyone listens to this and they have some questions and we have two or three questions, uh, we could uh, uh, do a follow up. What do you think? Yeah, sure. And I actually, one time I wrote a blog on the, the seven different things that Marge changed in the way Alexander taught to the way she taught but I, I could give you that link later if people yeah, wanted to read yeah. that. I, yeah, seven. I, I can think of two yeah. or three, but yeah, seven. That's great. Okay, so uh, my my guest uh, has been Jeremy Chance, who's Alexander Technique teacher of over 30 years teaching. He's based in uh, in Japan primarily, although he's... Uh, based, based in a plane primarily, yeah. Based <laughs> no, in, these days in, it's, it's Australia. My family's in Australia. The school's in Tokyo and Osaka, and we're opening up a new one in L.A., but of course I don't have a visa to work there, so I can't teach there yet. But he's, uh, Jeremy is like uh, Alexander Technique teacher to the world. How's that? Thank you, Robert. That's very kind. So, <laughs> Not thank, sure it's true, but it's kind. <laughs> well, th- thank you so much for, for being you, on the show. Take care. Great. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> 